NASCAR just completed their first rain-free race weekend at Circuit of the Americas. We're going to take a look at how the race is compared from last year's downpour to this weekend's picture-perfect race weekend. We take a look at the controversial penalties that came from the S's of the track, why I believe it is time to revamp the truck schedule, and what drivers were able to lock themselves into the playoffs. We go over that and more on this edition of Three Wide. So starting things off with the race weekend, you had another doubleheader Saturday with the Truck Series and Xfinity Series racing. Uh, you had Sheldon Creed and Zane Smith on the front row for the truck race. Now Sheldon Creed making a start for Young Motorsports. He wound up going and having to start in the rear along with several other drivers. He was driving for Young Motorsports in their number 20 truck. And he was my pick to win the race. Sheldon is a pretty good road racer himself, having raced on Robbie Gordon's Super Stadium Truck Series so he has the experience. I felt like even though he was starting in the rear, he would have no problem making his way back to the front. You also had drivers like Kyle Busch, Kaz Grala, and Alex Bowman in the race. Drivers that you don't see every week and, and getting an opportunity to log some laps and have a chance at a win. And, and this race weekend, it was much different than last year at Coda. Last year, if you remember, it was a heavy rain weekend even Sunday, they had to call the race short just because it was such a heavy downpour. It was poor visibility, a lot of dangerous accidents. Whereas this weekend, it's been sunshine, clear weather, perfect race conditions. So it's going to be fun to watch and see how these NASCAR trucks and cars would, would tackle the 3.4-mile road course. You had Kyle Busch, Alex Bowman, and Zane Smith early separate themselves from the pack, battling for the lead. They were obviously showing to be the top trucks in the race sheldon creed as i said he had to start in the rear but by the end of lap one he had worked his way up into the top 10 unfortunately he he came to pit road and went wound up going to the garage he had a mechanical issue and that would be the end of a promising start to his race he wound up dnfing uh, which was unfortunate to see like i said he was my pick and he had already worked himself up into the top 10 so I think if he'd have been able to stay in the race, he, he would have shown himself to be one of the top trucks. There towards the end of stage one, you had Kyle Busch, Alex Bowman, Parker Kligerman, and several other leaders in the top 10 pitting before stage in, just trying to get on a different pit cycle. And that wound up giving the stage win to Zane Smith. You had Stuart Friesen in second, Ben Rhodes third, Derek Krause in fourth, followed by Tyler Ankrum in fifth, Matt DiBenedetto in sixth. Timmy Hill was able to finish in seventh, followed by Christian Eckes in eighth. And Kyle Busch and Parker Kligerman wound up the, ending the top ten after their pit stops, still able to get a stage point for Kligerman. And after that, during the stage caution, everyone else pits, which gives the lead back to Kyle Busch. And the thing of note that really happened in stage two was a little controversy between Chase Purdy and Matt Crafton. Now, Crafton, who is a seasoned veteran in the truck series, he's pretty much a truck lifer. He's only made a handful of races, I know, in the Xfinity and Cup Series. He's uh, When Jimmy Johnson was dominating the Cup Series, winning all his championships, Matt was pretty much doing the same in the truck series. He's a three-time champion. So he's definitely not going to be the one with the most patience for young drivers making mistakes. And that's what it looked like. You had Chase setting up for an aggressive pass into a corner. It looks like he just overshot over you know and over braked it had a lot of smoke coming from the front of his car he locked it up wound up taking out matt crafton 
And after that, Matt Crafton retaliates. He after the restart with about four laps to go, he wasted no time to get the message to Chase that hey, I'm not going to play that game. So after that, you also on that same lap had John Hunter Nemechek spun by Zane Smith. John Hunter was leading at the time, and Zane was putting all sorts of pressure on him, driving really aggressive, and finally going into a corner, finished it off, and sent John Hunter spinning. And this all happened with four laps to go, so it was a very busy lap, and that wound up being the one to decide the stage win as Zane Smith would get another stage victory with Ben Rhodes in second. Derek Krause was able to bring it third, followed by Kyle Busch in fourth and Chandler Smith fifth. Matt Benedetto got some more points in sixth place, followed by Stuart Friesen in seventh, Carson Hosevar in eighth, Timmy Hill in ninth, and Parker Kligerman in tenth. So some drivers there. Timmy Hill was a guy I was really enjoying watching. He's driving his own unsponsored truck. He was up there mixing it up in the top ten with a lot of big-name drivers and big teams. So that was fun to watch. And Matt Benedetto trying to bounce back from his rough week in Atlanta last week. He, he's got some stage points and was looking to have another solid top 10 finish on the day. Unfortunately, with 10 laps to go in the race in stage three, he wound up stalling on the track. He had a rear gear failure, which was unfortunate to see because he was having such a solid day, just quiet, keeping the truck clean, trying to build back some points he lost last week because right now he is on the outside looking in in the playoff situation in the truck series. So he's he's going to be looking to rebound, and he just needs to start back to finishing the races as solid as he starts them. And so on that next restart, you had Kyle Busch, Stuart Friesen up there battling for the lead. Stuart Friesen, his truck really came to life on this restart. He was able to keep up with Kyle Busch for a couple laps, but ultimately Kyle Busch, he had such a good drive off the corners. Stuart, he was better on the entries. He was probably driving in harder than Kyle was. And Kyle was able to get such a launch off corners that eventually Kyle was just able to put a big gap between them and really look to have the race in hand. Not to the surprise of many people. It seems like any time Kyle gets in these truck or Xfinity races, he is the favorite every time. However, a caution came out with three laps to go, and that set up an overtime finish. So Kyle was probably not very happy to see that caution because, as I said, he had a pretty good lead and was looking like he had it in hand. So on that first overtime, there wound up being another caution thrown with Kaz Grala getting spun, and he got stuck in the gravel. And you also had debris all over one section of the track, which was unfortunate to see that caution come out because Alex Bowman, he was challenging Kyle hard for the lead and was really looked like he was setting up and probably would have been completing a pass soon or at least beating and banging with Kyle for the win. Uh, but with that, Caution, that definitely denied us a chance to see how that race between those two would have shook out. Uh, so on the next second overtime restart, you had Kyle Busch, Alex Bowman, Stuart Friesen. They were really driving under a blanket on top of one another. Going into one of the sharper corners on the track, you had Alex Bowman go to make a move underneath Stuart, trying to get to second and make another run at Kyle. Stewart sees this, looks like he decides he's going to try and drive it in deep as well to hold off Bowman and try and make a pass on Kyle. Unfortunately, with as sharp a turn as it is, both drivers just came together and get up, got up into Kyle, taking pretty much all three of them out of the race. 
and opened the door for Zane Smith, who took full advantage of it and wound up going away with the win. You had Zane Smith, John Hunter Nemechek getting second, able to get his first top five and top ten of the year after a, a struggle of a start. He's finished no better than 24th, I believe, so far in the season. So that was a good bounce back for him. Kyle Busch was able to maintain and finish in third place, followed by Ben Rhodes, who finished in fourth. He had a quiet, solid day, able to get solid finishes in each stage. Chandler Smith, he came in fifth, followed by Christian Eckes in sixth, Tyler Ankrum in seventh, Carson Hosevar in eighth. Stuart Friesen was able to keep it together and get a ninth-place finish, and Grant Enfinger rounded out the top ten. And a few drivers of note, uh, Derek Krause, another driver who had a, a solid day, he had been spun out there towards the end, but he was able to get back up to 12th and salvage the day the best he could. Parker Kligerman, who had been up there in the top five most of the race, he had posted on Twitter afterwards, after the checkered flag had fall, fell, he had lost fuel pressure going into the final restart which did not leave him with a full running truck, and he wound up getting spun in turn 12 and ended what was looking to be a very good finish for him and that team as they raced part-time. They only have three full-time employees with that team. Timmy Hill, I'm not sure what happened with him. I don't know if he was having some mechanical issues or what, but his, his solid start, able to get some extra points, get some TV time for his team. He, he struggles to the end and finishes in 22nd. And Alex Bowman, who had some pretty significant damage on that last lap, he wound up finishing in 25th. So after all was said and done with this truck race, the one thing I really came away with is it is time to revamp the truck schedule. And what I mean by that, Coda is a 3.4 mile long road course. To me, there is no reason why the truck series should be on a track that big. They also go to Pocono uh, and Kansas twice. I would love to see Pocono go away and one of those Kansas races go away and get back to what the root of the series was when it first started back in 1995, and that was short tracks. Um, the short It started out as a short track series, really. When they started in 1995, they had a 20-race schedule. Fifteen of those races were on short tracks. Three of them or on what we would call today speedway races, two of them on road courses. Now compare that to last season in 2021. It was a 22-race schedule, 14 speedway races, three short tracks, two dirt races, and three road courses. Now you could easily throw the dirt races in there with that short track crowd. So even you could say five short tracks. That That is not a good schedule to me for the truck series. I would love to see those three races I said earlier, Coda, Pocono, one of the Kansas's races go away, and, and see them go back to how they were. Go to a track like Iowa. Go to a track like Five Flag Speedway in Pensacola or a South Boston. Go to some of these markets and areas where NASCAR's not really touching right now. Iowa, I love that track. I hate it's no longer on any schedule in the NASCAR series. This weekend would be an excellent chance, opportunity for the truck series to do that. They, they've they turned into a series that really kind of follows around the cup series. And, and there's no need for the trucks to be on these big tracks. You know, Daytona, Michigan, Talladega, uh, 
Charlotte, Atlanta, that, that's about where I would leave it. And they only go to Daytona and Talladega once. So I just, I don't see any reason to keep these big tracks on the schedule. They didn't go to Daytona until 2000. So this is a, a series that has drastically changed in not that long of a time. And, and I think you got to get back to how it was. It, this was a series that started out, I mean, and opened the doors for drivers like Mike Skinner, Jack Spray, drivers like that to get their foot in the door, get a shot in NASCAR, period. And it, it has definitely evolved away from that, which is which is unfortunate to see because the truck series was one of my favorite series to watch growing up. And, and to me, the heyday was really, uh, say, 2002 to 2008, nine when you had drivers like Johnny Benson, Bobby Hamilton, Todd Bodine, in the series competing for wins and championships every week. It, and they and they were hitting different tracks. They were going to IRP. They were going to Mansfield. They were going to places that normally didn't see NASCAR action as far as compared to the Cup Series. So to me, that's my biggest gripe with this schedule, with this series. It's time to go back to the short track racing. That is what makes the Truck Series great to me. Uh, there at the end... The camera work, I loved the overhead shots when they were going through the S's, but it seemed like those last couple laps wasn't the best camera work, especially that last lap. It seemed like a lot of zoomed-in shots at random places. I don't know if it was just trying to catch something that they thought was going to happen or somebody said the wrong camera number. I, I don't know. But over the weekend, I, I have loved that overhead shot where they're going through the S's. It feels like you can actually see the action in front of you and behind, and it, it's a good wide shot. Now, I'm going to get more into this topic when I talk about the Xfinity Series race, but just to touch on it for a second, is NASCAR instituted a rule this weekend where through the S's, you cannot get all four tires beyond the rumble strips off the racing surface. That would be a penalty, pretty much like the double yellow line you see at Daytona, Talladega, and now Atlanta. I didn't get why they were saying you couldn't do that in this section because it didn't seem to me like it was going to give you much of an advantage if you did that. And plus, you would see drivers in other sections, sharper corners or where it's going downhill and kind of not really a corner but a little turn, they would cut through. They would cut over the rumble strips all four tires off of it, and there would be no penalty. Um, to me, a good example is Alex Bowman in this race. On the first overtime attempt, as I was saying, he was making a move on Kyle to try and get in a position to get the lead. He, he cut through one section where he, he didn't even attempt the corner. He just went across the rumble strips onto the non-racing surface and continued on. There was no penalty. So to me, it's just not very consistent to be like that, to say, you know, you can't do it here, but you can do it here. And, and even still, you would see sometimes drivers go off in the S's, all four tires across the rumble strips, and there would be no penalty given. So like the double yellow line rule is a judgment call. NASCAR is not the most consistent when it comes to it. And, and I just, I don't understand why that rule was instituted at this race. <laughs> 
and just after the truck series race concluded, the Xfinity drivers got out to make their mark on Coda. You had Ty Gibbs and Ross Chastain starting on the front row. You had Ross, uh, Bubba Wallace, Cole Custer, and Parker Kligerman. They were all making starts in the Xfinity race, some drivers you normally don't see week in and week out. Cole Custer obviously returning to the series after winning at Auto Club Speedway, just trying to keep that momentum going for that team. And on lap one, you have Miguel Paluto spin out. He was driving an extra entry for Junior Motorsports in the 88 car, sponsored by Brandt, just the same as the 7 car of Justin Allgaier. And when he spun, it wound up collecting his teammate Josh Berry, and Josh wound up with heavy damage on the front end of his car. Fortunately, with the size of this track, as much time as it takes for the leaders to get around, it gave his team a lot of time to repair this car and keep it competitive, just enough to keep him running for a solid finish. And Ross Chastain, he got out to an early lead. He was driving for DGM Racing, who was coming off probably their best week ever in, in Xfinity Series racing at Atlanta. You remember last week I talked about Kyle Weatherman, able to get a top 10 in that team. And Ross was looking to keep the momentum going for him and follow the route of Cole Custer and get a win for a smaller team. And he was my pick in this race. I figured he'd be able to do it, and he is a good road course racer. And would not have been surprised to see him win. Some more drama between junior motorsports drivers in stage one. You had Justin Allgaier get spun out by Noah Gregson. Uh, Ty Gibbs was also involved. Not, And I'm not saying that it was anything intentional by Gregson. Just some of these sharp corners on the road course. It, it was easy to get spun out or a driver outbreak you in the front. And you're not expecting it. But junior motorsports drivers early on were having a tough time staying out of each other's way. And that was most of the action for stage one. A lot of leaders pitted there towards the end, just doing some pit strategy. And that wound up giving the stage win to A.J. Allmendinger. Alex LeBay, who also drives for DGM Racing on a part-time basis, he was able to finish second. Daniel Hemrick in third, followed by Parker Kligerman in fourth. Justin Allgaier came in fifth, able to recover from his spin. Preston Partis in sixth. Jade Buford in seventh. Parker Chase in eighth. And you had Jeremy Clements and Ty Gibbs round out the top 10. So a lot of names up there that some of them don't race every week or you don't hear their names, even those that do. So they were able to take advantage of the leaders pitting at the end of the stage and get some extra points, which would be big for them as they are further back in the standings. And each position counts for those guys when it comes to the purse at the end of the season. Uh, and stage two, it was very quiet. No no big incidents happened during that. Again, most of your leaders pitted towards the end of the stage, just trying to stay on the same pit cycle. And Sam Mayer was able to take advantage and get his first stage win of the year. And he was followed by Jade Buford, who continued his solid run. Justin Allgaier in third. And Josh Berry with his damaged car in fourth. Riley Herbst, he came in fifth. Followed by Sage Karam in sixth. Ross Chastain in seventh. And then you had A.J. Allmendinger in eighth. Noah Gregson in ninth, and Scott Heckert rounded out the top ten. And then we kick off uh, stage three with a, a battle, really, between Ross Chastain and A.J. Allmendinger. And A.J., was who, who is really well known for his road course racing, I believe, out of his all of his wins in NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series, he has seven wins overall on road courses. Both his cup wins came on road courses, so no doubt where his strong suit is in NASCAR. So it was no surprise to see him get out to a big lead. 
You had Bubba Wallace in this final run. He had, was having a solid day, able to run up in the top 10, top five most of the day. He wound up losing six second gear, excuse me. Uh, you also had Justin Allgaier with some transmission troubles. So over the weekend, there was a lot of mechanical issues. Drivers, like I said, not used to this big a track and a lot of sharp turns and shifting. So a lot of mechanical issues going on. And you had a restart, late restart with six laps to go. And as they were going up the hill into turn one, Ross Chastain wound up getting spun by Landon Castle. Uh, and that was that was pretty much, to me, the end of the race because Ross seemed to be the only one that could go head-to-head with AJ and make it competitive and, and get a chance at the win. Now, after that, and the drivers kind of single-filed out and was just making it to the end of the race, you had some drivers penalized for going over the rumble strips in the S's. You had Jeb Burton penalized with four laps to go while he was running in third place, which was would have been a win for that team. And then a, a lap or two later, Jeremy Clements, who was running behind Jeb, as Jeb had not served his penalty yet, Jeremy, he wound up getting a penalty as well. And so that took out two drivers in smaller teams, or at least not your, you know, your heavy hitters like Junior Motorsports or Joe Gibbs that were going to have solid finishes, and those were undone by NASCAR's decision to penalize them. You had, at the end of the race, A.J. Allmendinger come away with the win. Austin Hill continues his impressive rookie year by finishing in second. Cole Custer, he comes in third, followed by Noah Gregson in fourth. Sam Mayer was able to get a fifth-place finish, followed by Mike Snyder in sixth, Brett Moffitt in seventh. Jade Buford finishes his strong day in his underfunded team in eighth. Miguel Paluto, he was able to make up for his lap one spin and damage and finish in ninth. And Sheldon Creed was able to bounce back and finish in 10th place. Now, to me, this is kind of where the controversy or the drama with the S's reached a, a fever point. You had several drivers that seemed throughout the race to go beyond the rumble strips with all four tires, but no penalties was called. Uh, going back and watching the race, I noticed you had drivers Noah Gregson and Cole Custer actually go across the rumble strips with all four tires the same lap as Jeb Burton did, and they were all running under blanket, single file. So it was very curious why they were not penalized as well as Jeb. You also had drivers like Ty Gibbs, Ross Chastain, uh, even believe I saw Brett Moffat and Ryan Seago pass the rumble strips. And my main issue with it is it's like the double yellow line. It's a judgment call. And NASCAR, to me, this was probably their most inconsistent. I've seen them with these calls this weekend. I just don't believe, don't understand why you had these two drivers that were running four nose to tail and you penalized the two in front of them but not the two drivers in the back. It was just very, very inconsistent, and it was frustrating. Jeb Burton and Jeremy were both frustrated at the end. Jeb was frustrated with NASCAR, and Jeremy was uh, frustrated with Jeb. He felt like Jeb staying out there and not immediately coming in and serving his penalty cost him and wound up making him run past the rumble strips. So all in all, a lot of frustration felt with those drivers towards NASCAR officiating as how those penalties were called. So, and that would honestly, you would think that'd be the end of it, but would actually carry over to Sunday's race, the cup race, which we will cover next. 
Now moving ahead to the cup race on Sunday at Coda, it was a much different race weekend than it was last year. As I mentioned earlier, last year it was a torrential downpour most of the weekend. The cup race wound up getting called early due to the heavy rain. There had been some major crashes in the race, whereas this weekend, perfect race conditions, and we were going to finally get to see how these drivers and these cars would handle the 3.4-mile road course. You had Ryan Blaney and Daniel Suarez on the front row. And early on, uh, Daniel Suarez took the lead from Blaney and had a pretty good lead. The only thing of of note that really happened in the first stage, you had Kyle Busch get spun by Chase Elliott. And looking at the replay, I'm not sure if it was just something like Chase wasn't paying attention or or was trying to focus more on his interest to the corner because Kyle, it it didn't look like he was braking early or had overbraked getting into the corner. Looked like he was really just easing it into the turn just to try and get to the end of the stage cleanly. But that ended his strong run in stage one. And at the end of it, you had Daniel Suarez get the stage win with Ryan Blaney second. Alex Bowman came across third, followed by Joey Logano fourth, Kyle Larson fifth. Justin Haley was able to score some points in sixth, followed by Chase Elliott in seventh, Chase Briscoe in eighth. Harrison Burton in ninth, and Austin Sundrick rounded out the top ten in stage one. Now, like previous races, you had some pit strategy going on. A lot of the leaders pitted there towards the end of the stage. And so when stage ended, the drivers came to pit road. Daniel Suarez would wind up coming out uh, around the 20th position, middle of the pack. And at the start of stage two, he was spun going into turn one after some contact with Corey LaJoy. Uh, every restart, it just seemed like everybody, you know, they're going four or five wide trying to get in the corner. They're waving out. And you were just about always going to see somebody with some contact or get spun out. Unfortunately, it was Daniel's turn in this corner. What was impressive with it, it flattened Daniel's left rear tire, and he was able to make it around the whole 3.4-mile course without causing any more damage to his car and was able to continue on in the race and try to recover from that. You had Austin Sendrick take control early in this stage, but he was being followed closely by Ross Chastain, Tyler Reddick, and A.J. Allmendinger, who were without a doubt some of the top cars in that race. And finally, Ross Chastain was able to pass Sendrick with about three laps to go, but it's like as soon as he made the pass, both drivers dove onto pit road. It was, it was very interesting to see Ross make that move. You would have figured he would have kept on, tried to get the stage win, but ultimately, he came to pit road along with Reddick and Almendinger and Sendrick. So that would give the stage win to Denny Hamlin. Uh, and Kyle Busch came in second. Joey Logano in third. Ryan Blaney fourth. Eric Almirola crossed fifth. Followed by Austin Dillon in sixth. Harrison Burton in seventh. Ross Chastain in eighth. Austin Sendrick ninth. And Bubba Wallace rounded out the top ten. And up to this point, besides the stage breaks, it was a caution-free race. The first caution, it did not fall until with 34 laps to go, which was actually four debris, of all things, which at this big a track, there could be a wreck or a spin, and NASCAR would keep the race green just because they, they would be able to get rolling and would be no danger to the speed of the race. Uh, at this point, Ross Chastain kind of took control and started flexing his muscle in the race. You had another caution come out on lap 42. Eric Jones, he had lost power and was stopped on the track, which is mostly what you would see out of all the cautions this weekend. Anytime drivers 
were, were stalled, NASCAR would have no choice but to halt the race. And when it came down to getting down towards the end with 25 laps to go, your top five was Ross Chastain, Chase Briscoe, Tyler Reddick, Almondinger, and Alex Bowman. And those five guys were really who the race was going to be settled between. They had been the strongest cars all day, the ones that were consistently up in the front after pit cycles had kind of worked their way out. So it was definitely going to be an entertaining race because you had two drivers going for their first career win. Briscoe trying to continue his hot start to the season, get his second career win. You had Alex Bowman as well trying to continue his hot hand that really has continued on from last season. And then you had A.J. Allmendinger, who's not running for points. He's just simply running, trying to get trophies, trying to get wins. So it was going to be a competitive, hard-nosed racing at the end. But before we could get there, you had Bubba Wallace lose a tire. And that will probably end up being a four-race suspension for his crew chief, Booty Barker, as well as the tire changer and Jackman. Obviously, NASCAR will go back and look, see if it was just simply a mistake on the crew or was it a parts failure, but in all likelihood, it'll probably be a suspension for those guys. You had a, a caution come out with 15 laps to go. Ricky Stenhouse had gotten stalled on the track. And, and you saw from here on, anytime there was a restart, it, it just kept, the action kept picking up. The racing got more aggressive. Bumpers were being used more. And you actually had Briscoe on this restart get knocked out of the racing groove in the S's. He pretty much got knocked in cutting the course. However, he was in third place. By the time he was able to gather it back up and keep going, he fell back to seventh. But NASCAR, originally, they, they were going to penalize him for going off the racing surface on the S's. Even though he lost positions, luckily, NASCAR rescinded that penalty. And, and I was glad to see him do that. If they had kept that penalty with Briscoe, that definitely would have been the controversy of the day just because simply Briscoe had no other options. It's not like he went out there to try and make a, a gain of any kind. He was knocked out and drove through the S instead of just immediately shooting back on the track and possibly causing a big wreck. So luckily, NASCAR pulled back on that penalty and Briscoe was able to continue on. You had a Custer. He had a spin on a restart with eight to go after they had a caution due to Corey LaJoy's problems. And that was unfortunate to see for Cole. He had had a strong race. He you know, was on fresher tires than everybody else, and he was in the top 10 when this accident happened. So if anything, he was definitely in a good spot with all these restarts to possibly come away with a top five, if not better. Unfortunately, we'll never know. He was definitely trying to get his season back going in the right direction. Just was taken out with something not of his own doing. And this is where the battle between Ross Chastain and AJ was really heating up. Now, these two guys, they're former teammates at College Racing back in the Xfinity Series. The most notable thing that happened between those two was a wreck at Daytona. On the last lap, you had Ross Chastain going for the win and would spin AJ, his teammate, and really take both of them out of the chance for the win. So Ross is known for his aggressive driving. AJ can be aggressive at times. So you knew the contact was going to happen. It was just a matter of when and where and how bad was it going to be. If it would take out one driver or the other, or if they'd be able to continue on beating and banging till the start-finish line. You had a caution come out with six laps to go, and that set up another intense restart with four laps to go. You had Tyler Reddick take the lead after a wide exit by A.J. Allmendinger and Ross Chastain. They were racing hard, coming out of turn one, ran up into the 
ran up the track and Tyler Reddick was able to stay on the bottom lane, keep his momentum and get by both these guys. But almost as soon as he got the lead, the caution came back out again. You had a, a wreck with Kurt Busch, Joey Logano, Kyle Larson. All three of those drivers got together, wound up getting in the gravel pit just off of turn one. And as they came back out on the track, I mean, they were just throwing rocks and dirt, everything all over the racetrack. NASCAR had to throw a caution just because it, it was not going to be any way the, the leaders would get through there clean on the next lap. And so that set up an overtime finish. Uh, whereas previous weekends, it, or previous races over the weekend, it had taken a couple tries. This one, we only got one shot at overtime. Ross Chastain was able to get by Tyler Reddick going into the S's. And so then A.J. Allmendinger went to work on Tyler, trying to get in second place and set himself up for a final run. Ultimately, A.J. was able to get by him. And on the last lap, you had A.J. bump Ross out of the way. Nothing flagrant or dirty, just simple bump and run. And A.J. was able to get ahead. But you could tell Ross, he, he was going to try and make it happen again and repay the favor. Meanwhile, you had Alex Bowman in third, who was just sitting there waiting and was looking in good shape that he was going back into another win, as Kyle Busch would say. But as they were going in the corner, Bowman makes a bold move on – the inside or outside of the, the drivers, depending on the corner and how you were looking at it. And just as he was getting ready, it looked like to clear him, be able to get ahead. Ross Chastain repays the favor, knocks AJ up the track, winds up getting into Bowman. AJ spins out. So he was immediately knocked out of it. Bowman, he was unable to recover enough to stay right there within Ross Chastain's grasp. And Ross Chastain would get away to score his first career win and the first career win of Trackhouse Racing. And this is a team that has come out of the gates hot this season, both Suarez and Chastain. It was just a matter of time before they made it into victory lane. So Ross able to get there first. I have no doubt Suarez you know, will be in victory lane as well before season's end. Your top 10 at the end of the race, you had Ross Chastain first, Alex Bowman second, Christopher Bell was able to finish in third, Chase Elliott in fourth, Tyler Reddick in fifth, followed by Ryan Blaney sixth. You have Martin Truex Jr. in seventh, who had a solidly quiet day. Austin Sendrick in eighth. Eric Jones was able to rebound from his power failure and finish in ninth place. And Austin Dillon gets his first ever top ten in the Cup Series on a road course with a tenth place finish. Now, a lot of people were, you know, debating the deal with AJ and Ross. The way I see it, it, it was simply good hard racing. AJ did nothing dirty. He did a simple bump, knocked a Ross out of the way to get by him. And Ross going into the corner, while he was more aggressive with his push all over the, the bumper of AJ, I still don't see it as anything dirty. He didn't just go in there and clean him out. He he just gave him a good hard hit and, and carried on with for the win. You had Denny Hamlin tweet after the race, uh, and I'm using – the exact tweet was, in 2017, this wasn't okay. In today's world, high stakes, do whatever it takes, playoffs on the line, blah, blah, blah. It, it's all fair game. The game has changed. It's just expected now. Everyone runs over everyone. It doesn't matter if it's for first or tenth. Congratulations to Justin Marks and Ross Chastain. Now, Denny is obviously referencing his incident with Chase Elliott back in 2017 at the Martinsville playoff race where you had Chase going for his first career win and an opportunity to lock himself into the championship four. 
And going into turn three on one of the final laps, he wrecks Chase Elliott. Going into the corner, it was a very unpopular move among NASCAR fans. Uh, Denny's defense was he was pushed into Chase, even though there was no car behind him or even close to his bumper to push him into it. And I got to disagree with Denny on this one. To me, stuff like this, it's gone on in NASCAR from the very beginning. You know, the reason why 2017 was such an unpopular move was because of how it was done. Instead of it seemed like trying to bump Chase out of the way, have a a hard-fought battle to the win, it looked like he just cleaned Chase out. Whereas compared to this race with AJ and Ross, you had AJ give a bump, Ross able to give a bump back, even though AJ ultimately ended up wrecked, both drivers had a fair shot at it and were able to to repay the favor and just race hard. You also look back at, you know, Kyle Busch and Carl Edwards. They would have some battles where at Bristol, Kyle bumped Carl out of the way. Carl came back and bumped Kyle out of the way. And now Kyle was not happy about it after the race, but that was just good, hard, short track racing, as well as at Richmond 2016 when they were teammates. Carl Edwards bumps Kyle Busch out of the way coming to the checkered flag. It, and he, Denny kept tweeting him and Dustin Long were going back and forth on Twitter. Or it was Nate Ryan, excuse me, that Denny Hamlin, they were tweeting back and forth. And Denny made the comment, and I'm paraphrasing here, where basically we got to look at how this whole context deal of who it involves, that that makes a difference, that if it's wrong, it's wrong, if it's right, it's right. It's never going to be that way in NASCAR especially. You know, the reason... Being, I mean, everyone has their drivers they pull for. They have their drivers that they want to see not do well. They, If it comes down to a short track finish, like when Bowman wrecked Denny Hamlin, the fans were cheering. They loved it just simply because they're not Denny Hamlin fans. The same with, you know, when Carl Edwards bumped Kyle Busch out of the way at Richmond 2016. They're not a fan of Kyle Busch. They're going to enjoy seeing him get bumped out of the way and taken out of a win. It's the sport, and I'm, it just seems like to me this tweet is kind of sour grapes. It almost kind of makes me feel like he he just can't get over the fact that his move in 2017, ever since then, he, he has become one of the probably more unpopular drivers in the sport. Uh and it just seems like he hasn't been able to move on from that. He always kind of harps back to that or harps on the fans and their reactions to things, which isn't going to do him any favors. So Denny, he's he's had a rough year, six races in. He has zero top fives, zero top tens, sitting 22nd in points, uh, a far cry from how competitive he's been the past few years. Um, now we are going to Richmond next weekend, which is a strong race for Joe Gibbs Racing. And, you know, Toyota as a whole has struggled this season. So it's not just Denny. You know, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Kurt Busch, they've had their flashes where they've had solid finishes, chances at wins. But overall, it just has not been a strong year for Toyota. So hopefully, you know, that team, they'll be able to bounce back, you know, add a new threat into the races each week. But as far as this tweet and Denny goes, I would, you know – caution him about when it when it comes to talking about how fa- fans feel because that never seems to end well for the drivers when they they tend to come on that comment on that
And now we move on to my favorite segment of the episode, our spotlight performers. This is where I put the spotlight on drivers who may not have been able to get the race win. However, they were able to make the most out of the equipment they had and get a solid finish or overcome some whatever adversity they had faced in the race uh, or just feel good stories. Like in this case, in my truck series spotlight driver is Brad Perez. Now, Brad is a name, you know, not many people, you've probably heard of him. He, and that's because he only has one other NASCAR national star under his belt. And that was in an ARCA race last season at Watkins Glen. Now, his normal job, he works in the garage as a tire specialist for Matt Benedetto's team. And this was his first career truck start. He was able to get a ride together with Room Brothers Racing and had a solid day. He did have some issues early. But he was able to to keep the truck clean, avoid any incidents throughout the day, and finish with a solid 20th place finish. And this was a guy that was the talk of the garage all weekend on social media. That He had a lot of eyes on him in this race and a lot of supporters. And it was definitely a great story to watch happen in front of you. You know, I'm not sure where his career will go from here, if this will lead to more opportunities, especially at, at road courses. But either way, it was nice to see him get the spotlight for just a a race, if anything, um, and see what he can make of it. Now, for the Xfinity Series, my spotlight driver is a guy who was in the truck race and had a solid race overall. But I'm going to give him the spotlight in the Xfinity Series. It's uh, Parker Kligerman, who was driving for Emerling Gase Motorsports. And this is this team's seventh race overall. And Parker was able to come home with a 12th place finish now he did have some solid finishes in the stages uh i know he was in top 10 i believe in in both or just one stage stage one he got a solid top five finish in that and that's pretty much been parker's career he finished 12th at the checkered flag and the previous best for this team was 17th with shane lee And, and parker especially the last handful of years he has made a career for taking you know, smaller budget teams, lower equipment, and really making the most out of it. He has been racing since 2008. However, he's only had four full-time seasons in all those years. He has one full-time ARCA season where he finished second in the point standings with nine wins. He does have uh, two full-time truck seasons under his belt. He has a best finish in the points of fifth and two career wins in the truck series. And he's had one Xfinity full-time season where he finished ninth in the points. He's raced for some big-name teams like Penske, Kyle Busch Motorsports, and Brad Keselowski Racing in the Truck Series. And it seems like he's never gotten his fair shake at a, at a top ride. I know he was rumored for, for a top ride in the Xfinity Series this past offseason. Ultimately, that did not come to pass. But he is a guy you know, that's definitely getting hot, and a lot of people are wanting to see him get in a in – a, Big time ride. They believe he could compete for wins and championships, and I have, I agree with them. Anytime he's in that seventy five truck in the truck series, he is always a contender and someone to watch. He's an excellent plate racer, road course racer. So I, the spotlight's got to be on him. I hope he gets an opportunity soon because he for sure deserves it. And then we move on to the Cup Series, and this is I was debating on who to go with. My original pick was going to be Eric Jones, who was able to come back with a ninth-place finish after a power failure on his car, and he's had a rough couple weeks. So it was nice to see him get a a top-ten finish, able to finish out a race solidly. 
but my pick is going to wind up being Christopher Bell. And that is because of what he had to overcome. He had steering issues early on in the race. Uh, Stage two, I believe, was when his problem started. But he was able to uh, avoid any accidents, including a spinning Austin Cindric. And, I mean, he just barely cleared him. If he had been a fraction of a second later trying to get by, it probably would have been the end of his race. Ultimately, he was able to continue on and finish a solid third-place finish. Now, this was his first top five of the year, his second top ten overall. And it could have been his second top five uh, with what happened at Atlanta last week. He was running in the fourth, fifth, fifth position, making a late run, went under the double lines and got penalized, so he lost out on that top five. But Christopher was a guy with this new car. A lot of people figured he'd be up there with the Briscoe and Chastain, Suarez, as able to really take control of this new car and the way it drives. Ultimately, he hasn't yet. Now, it, he could catch on at any point in the year. We, we've seen it happen before where it takes drivers a little bit to get going. Um, so the, the ball is in his court. He is definitely going to have to start putting together some solid finishes just to keep from being in a, you know, must-win situation to get in the playoffs. But the spotlight's got to be on him for this race, at least, where he comes away with a third-place finish despite losing steer- having steering issues on a 3.4-mile road course. And now, looking ahead to next weekend's race at Richmond International Raceway, you got the Xfinity Series on Saturday and the Cup Series, who used to race on Saturday nights. They are now on Sunday afternoons. Noah Gregson is the defending race winner in the Xfinity Series, and with the hot start he's had to this season, I see no reason why he shouldn't be the favorite again for this one. In the Cup Series, you had Alex Bowman, who got his first win of the year last year at Richmond and really did it, was able to take advantage of a a late restart, some pit strategy, and hold off Denny Hamlin to get that win. And Richmond is kind of a hybrid. It's a labeled a short track but it can race like an intermediate it's a lot of high speeds at this track you see a lot of hard hits so it's going to be this is kind of like to me falls under the category of a auto club or atlanta where i just do not know what this car is going to do at this track i hope that it you know it ends up being like those races and has a positive change to it because it's definitely not known for its passing for you know it's it's hard-nosed racing you can have some exciting finishes but uh, overall you know i would love to see a more you know complete race exciting race um and and we're getting into part of the schedule that these next few weeks are going to be very exciting you got richmond this weekend then we go to another short track martinsville followed by the dirt race at bristol and then we go to talladega then you had Dover and Darlington. So these next five, six races are, are going to be extremely entertaining to watch. You know, it's going to be fun to watch and see what this new car does at this track. It's going to be fun to see how the car holds up at Martinsville with all the beating and banging that will go on there. How does this car race on dirt? It, it's definitely a lot of races coming up you do not want to miss. And it all starts this weekend at Richmond. And that is all the time we have left. I thank you again for joining me. Be sure to give my Twitter page a follow at the number three wide and the number three again as my Twitter handle. You can also subscribe and rate my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, as well as Stitcher. Hope you all enjoy this first round of short track racing we have this weekend, and we will see you again next week.